the organizers of GYC West requested that we speak about a subject that is near and dear to the hearts of the young people in our home anyway, and that is on the issue of courtship. Or, to put it another way, how do you go about having or creating a God-honoring union? And so with that in mind, we want to share for the second seminar, Preparing to Love, on the formation of a God-honoring union. Now I will say this at the outset, and then we'll have prayer, that this seminar is going to be more informal than our previous seminars. And to be very honest with you, we, our family, did not feel qualified to talk about courtship when we had not gone through courtship before. Well, we have now had that experience with our oldest daughter, who is enjoying and we're seeing the fruits of a God-honoring union. And I have to tell you, there is nothing sweeter to see, and there's nothing that you would not want to have. So on the subject of relationships and courtship, one thing becomes very clear. You will either follow after the pattern of the world, or you will follow after what the word says to do. Because really, there's only two choices. If you want to have a God-honoring union, a marriage where heaven on earth approximates heaven, then you're going to have to follow what the word has to say than rather what the world has to say. So young people, if you want to be chosen to be set apart for God, then you have to set your heart on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you have to go to the Lord Jesus Christ to ask, what do I need to do in order to have a marriage that is God-honoring. So today, what we want to do is to talk about, we cannot be comprehensive. We want to talk about three principles that are important, we believe, in forming a God-honoring union. By no means is it going to cover everything. But as we share from our hearts to yours, we ask that you would ask the Holy Spirit to show you what you need to do. Let us bow our heads as we pray. Precious Heavenly Father, we are getting into a very important subject because we know that you desire above all that our lives reflect what the kingdom of heaven is based on, that is love, and that the unions that we are part of also reflects the kingdom of heaven. And so we ask that you would call to our hearts where you need to, teach us what we need to know, and help us above all to go to you for the answers and not the world. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So there are three principles that we want to share with you today that young people can adopt, which will help to facilitate a God-honoring union. The first one is waiting on the Lord. The second, accountability. And the third, authenticity. So those are the three things we want to talk about today, waiting on the Lord accountability, and authenticity. We have chosen to call this three disciplines because all three of these things, and I will, um, as we go into it, you'll understand more the importance of each, but all three of these things require self-discipline. It's, um, 
in the way of the world, young people. This is an area that, of course, every young person is interested in. It's an area where it's very difficult to submit to, um, to the authority or the counsel of uh, parents or even friends and godly mentors. We want to do what we want to do. And so young people tend to simply follow their inclinations. They seem to be, uh, to lose their uh, intelligence, to be only subject to hormones, uh, to be oblivious to the danger that they are in, seemingly blind and ignorant of their dire need in this area, more than any other probably, of the wisdom of God and the judicious counsel of godly mentors and parents. So um, we want to um, appeal to you young people that if you want to set your heart on the glory of God, you have to manage this area of your life very differently from the way that the world does it. And so the very first discipline is the discipline of waiting on the Lord. And let me share with you a few verses before we talk about that. Psalm 27, 14 says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage and he shall strengthen thy heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. Friends, God makes everything beautiful in his time. That is in where is that, Natasha? Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I didn't write it down here. Um, there's a time and a season for everything. And so as young people get into their teens and their awakens in their hearts, the, the question, the desire, the interest, um, it's hard. It's hard to hold back. But if we wait on God, it can be more beautiful than what you can imagine. And I'll tell you, um, as I go into the story, I'll share with you a few more verses before I go into Shantae and Luke's story. But we saw that portrayed in their story um, very beautifully, that it is worth the wait. It is worth the sacrifice that it is for a young person to uh, to just go to sleep in this area of life until God says it's time to wake up. So be content. One of the um, important things to pay attention to is that we need to be content with God's providential leadings for the present. Redeem the time. Right now, in your youth, redeem the time being eager to discern and to embrace God's purpose for your single years, uh, to engage in your education. Um, Phil Mills, who wrote a, um, a syllabus uh, on courtship based on the Bible and spirit of prophecy, which I recommend very highly. We use this very closely as we were going through this experience. I guess I cannot unconnect it here, but I just want to show it to you. It's called Preparation for a Happy Marriage. And he, Phil says, um, to be happily married, we must first be happily single. If you have the thought in your mind that if you could only get into that, you know, get into that, having a relationship as your friend has a relationship, you would be happier. That is a lie of the devil. If you are not perfectly happy right now, 
you will not be happy then. Discontent will arise and conflict will begin. This is an excellent time. That waiting period, as you're waiting on the Lord, is an excellent time to address areas of character weakness and develop strengths um, in those areas which will pave the way for you to be able to build um, a relationship that will end in a happy, strong marriage that will bless not only you, but will bless all those within the sphere of your influence. True contentment um, is something to cultivate. And that contentment remains undaunted, even with the thought that comes to every young person's mind at some point or another, what if, what if it's God's will for me not to get married? And some young people um, respond to that thought with dread. True contentment can even look at that possibility and find that if that is the perfect will of God in your life, perfect will of God concerning you, He can give you um, the joy and the fulfillment that others find in marriage. He can give you that without marriage. Paul said, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content, Philippians 4.11. Uh, in everything give thanks, whether in singleness or in a relationship, for this is the will of Christ Jesus concerning you. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, make your requests um, made known to God. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass, and he shall bring forth thy righteousness. Here's a promise. If we choose to do this, to delight ourselves in the Lord, instead of being in a hurry for that special relationship to begin, delight yourself uh, in the Lord, and then that promise will be fulfilled in your life. He shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. As a rule, in our family, over the years, as we studied this topic, we decided that for us, the rule of thumb uh, was going to be based on a comment that Ellen White makes, and that is that the minimum age of safety, uh, because this is a decision that affects the rest of your life, that requires a great deal of maturity, spiritually and otherwise. So the minimum age in our minds, in the minds of our young people, and this is a, a thought that we nurtured from early on, was 20. This is um, the beginning of the season when it is safer to get into this kind of decision-making. A youth not out of his teens is a poor judge of the fitness of a person as young as himself to be his companion for life. S.A. I'm forgetting what S.A. What does it stand for? S.A. A solemn appeal. That's right, 52. Now, this does not necessarily mean that a person uh, that is 20 years old is ready. There are times when it requires more time. Um, our daughter, Shante, who is now a very happily married girl, was actually 27 when, um, when her relationship, well, when she married Luke. 
So uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Sh Shante's story before we go on. And this is the very dangerous part of this message because uh, my family knows that I could really lose a handle and, and be so wordy here that we could be here for several hours and we cannot afford to do that. So I'm especially going to ask them to just come and stand next to me if I'm being, because uh, this is not in my notes, I'll just be sharing candidly, you know, from my heart. So um, I do have a few things in my notes, and that is um, that I didn't want to forget. Um, and that is that uh, Shante experienced a bit of personal attachment to a particular friendship when she was, I think she was just 19 years old. And um, we, we knew, she knew and we knew that it was not the season for her. She was not ready. She still had a, a lot of schooling ahead of her. And so Shante made the decision to guard her heart from premature attachments in the years to come by keeping her friendships with young men exclusively in the context of our family friendships. Now that's kind of a, um, a drastic decision for a young person in this day and age to make. Uh, and we're not here today to promote that this is the way to do it or, or to even judge whether this was a, a, a good choice or not. Um, just telling you this is what happened. And so she spent the majority of um, you know, the first five years of her 20s, focusing on, on her education, developing um, edifying friendships with other young ladies, and with some young men, only in the context of our family friendships. So she did relate to in friendship with uh, young men that were in a relationship with us because our families were friends. This um, helped her to really focus on the things that God wanted to do with her through those years, unencumbered by the emotional drain of complicated friendships that, uh, with the opposite gender that a great number of our young people experience. Complicated friendships and premature courtships that are really not destined to um, end in the marriage altar and that often end in regret and guilt and broken hearts. Now, I, we believe today that there is a way to conduct friendships in your 20s um, that are not necessarily exclusively in the context of a, of a family friendship. But this is what she did. And so until she was 25 years old when she met Luke, um, she had maintained a very firm um, stand that when a young man, as we travel and speak, and she would meet young men that were interested in staying in touch with her, her line was always, um, actually, you know, I, I, don't, um, I don't conduct my friendships one-on-one -on -one with young men, but if you would like to get to know our family, I'm happy to give you our family email address and we can keep in touch. Needless to say, most of the young men that she gave that line to never emailed us. Uh, I must say that a few did, and we have some, we have a couple of precious friendships with young men um, who, that's how our, our friendship with them started. We didn't know their families, but they became interested in our family, and so those are still a blessing today. But anyway, as, as a result of that, as she 
got to the age where it was safe for her to actually consider, okay, is, is the Lord bringing someone into my life that he wants me to consider? Um, all of us didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> we had no, no practice, really. We had done a lot of you know, studying the theory of these things and the importance of counsel and, and the importance of accountability. And, um, but we had not gone through the process. Shante had, had it in her mind. She had a vision that she really wanted to save her heart for one person, for that one special man. She didn't want to... Um, try a courtship two or three times. She just wanted to do it once. Now, um, I have to rush to add, you know, this is not, it is not failure to have, to be engaged in two or three courtships. Um, depending on how we conduct those courtships, it, it can be completely principled. But this was a desire that she had. And out of that desire, as she uh, engaged in, in counseling girls through our ministry and hearing many stories of broken hearts, she became more and more firm in her desire that she didn't want to go that way. She saw that young ladies uh, lose their discernment. Oftentimes, young ladies would counsel with her that would share things with her that she could, she thought, how can they not see this? How can it not be evident? So it was very evident to her that young people lose discernment when the heart becomes engaged, when the, emotion, the emotions become involved. It's hard for a young person to be objective and to, to follow the counsel of the word. Um, so she had a request of her parents. She said to her daddy, I so much don't want to do this again and again, as many of my friends have done, that I would like, if possible, this may not be possible, she said, but if possible, I would like you, if you know that a young man is interested in me, I want you to thoroughly check him out before he even lets me know, or before you even let me know that he is interested. Well, we thought, well, this is, this is different, but it was something that we supported because we thought, yes, okay, she, wants, she really wants to guard her heart. There's nothing wrong with doing that. So if it is possible, we will do that. Okay, so now here we are. Um, is it two years ago now? Yep. 2000, April of 2011. We are attending the Oklahoma Restoration International's Oklahoma Family Camp meeting. And Luke is there, and he approached Shante at some point during the camp meeting, just was just friendly, and um, established a conversation with her in which they discovered very quickly some very um, meaningful um, and strong similar commonalities, similar interests. He, um, he's a nurse, he's also a farmer, and so for the last few years, ever since he graduated from college, he has uh, worked in nursing um, and farming. During the farming season, when he is the busiest, then he doesn't do any nursing. Uh, in the winter, he actually usually goes to Africa 
and um, did that for several years before he met Shante um, because he really has a heart for missions and she's had a heart for missions since she was 10 years old so she discovered uh, these common interests very quickly and found herself being drawn to this young man in, in an instant in this encounter that they had. Um, so through the um, conversations that we had at the time, she actually did not express any uh, interest to us, um, but we watched them interact and we learned that he was a farmer. The farm, uh, their family farm is nearby uh, Oklahoma camp meeting and we decided to stop. We wanted to buy some asparagus um, and we decided to stop on the way back from a wedding that we were going to. So anyway, we had the opportunity to relate to him and to his family briefly and it was obvious to us um, that he had an interest in Shantae. Um, but he did not grow up with the thought of uh, <laughs> with the thought of doing things in such an unconventional way as Shantae wanted to do things and as we were supportive of Shantae doing things. So um, let's see if I can abbreviate here and just tell you that that over the first um, over the first few weeks after meeting each other. Uh, Luke found reasons uh, to call. We actually had uh, stayed in their home overnight on the way back to New Mexico from the wedding that we had attended right after camp meeting, and we left some items behind. And so he called us we for that. No. <laughs> and so um, we we had a reason to call each other several times after our stay at their home. Um, well, Shantae found herself so attracted to this young man um, that she suddenly thought, this is impossible. If he is not the one, how can I ever do what I have said to girls all these years about guarding their hearts <laughs> and, and engaging those hearts before it was time? So she became very alarmed. Her siblings became very alarmed as well as they saw this girl who had gone, had had a very um, smooth sailing through her 20s so far, um, you know, uninvolved emotionally with any young man. Um, and so all these things caused Shantae to be so fearful of what was happening that she pulled back. She wrote um, Luke an email to letting him know that um, this is after they had talked on the phone several times that what usually she she told guys the very first time they wanted to stay in touch except that through the circumstances he had actually not asked he called and then he called again for another reason so um, she told him that you know she she would not be staying in touch that if he was uh, interested in, in staying in touch that he could um, email our family. Just looking to, we've got to move on to the next section. So Luke did just that. He communicated actually uh, with uh, myself 
and with mother for a time, for a couple of months actually, with Shante not being aware of the dialogue that we were having. Because Shante wanted us to know <coughs> that the heart of that young man was oriented toward God because this was very important to her. See, we knew our daughter's heart. And that is one of the first things that's very important to understand here. We understood what was in our daughter's heart because we took the time to invest in our daughter. We knew what was important to her. And we wanted to know that he was also paying attention to the same things. So it became a challenge for us, though, because uh, we'd never done this before. We didn't know how to do this process. And uh, we got pretty intense. As we, it's the only way we know how to do things, I dare say, the neblets. And so it became apparent to this young man very quickly that if he was serious in proceeding forward, that he would have to make a commitment. And that is a pretty tough thing for some young men to do. And then the bottom line is that uh, Luke concluded that this was probably not in God's will, that he proceed uh, any further, and so as a result, uh, he tapered off the communication, and we actually stopped communicating after several months. And uh, that was hard for us because we had actually come to like this young man, but we're not the one marrying our daughter, if you understand what I mean. He has to make the decision before God what he would have him to do. So at that point, uh, we stopped communicating, and the communication uh, went to very little for many months. And that leads us on to the next aspect of how do you know when is the right timing? And we're going to continue the story, and we'll tell you what had happened. I should tell you, and I don't know if you mentioned that and I missed it, that Shante did not know that. Did you mention that? No, okay. I'm just going to move us this way. Shante did not know the months that we were communicating with him months. Un <laughs> mm -hmm. until he um, chose to um, request if he could come and just visit our home. And um, that is when she got the first inkling because she saw, uh, she saw an email, a title by accident that... Um, that there was something going on, that there was some communication, that it wasn't just him calling one day our home and saying, hey, we're going through New Mexico, you know, we remember meeting you, can we stop by and, and say hello? Um, yeah, a random visit, sort of. And so it was very, this whole period was quite disconcerting for her because she had not been, um, she just, she simply didn't know what was going on and she, she did not, he was truly, a stranger to her. She had felt drawn to him, but after pulling back and not having um, any communication, because after she told him, um, I don't want to do this, he actually, by accident, decided, well, it seemed to us by accident, decided to email not the family's, um, I know what it was, um, Edwin wrote him an email from his account, and he kind of took that as maybe a signal to communicate with dad instead of with the family. So all of the months she thought he had just, you know, his interest in our family had gone by the wayside. Um, but he was actually communicating with mother and I. But he was actually communicating with us. So uh, when he came back into the picture by coming to visit our home. Five months after they had first met. Yes. Um, it was actually Four very, months. very difficult for her 
she still she was struggling with her desire to do things in the way that she had envisioned which was not wanting to know anything unless and until we could tell her we know this guy enough to tell you that we're very comfortable and you know we weren't there yet um, and of course we did not know what we were doing so we didn't know how long that would take but through those next few months um, he, Shante went through a period of um, having to put forth this principle in her life, wait on the Lord. She, became, she was tempted with impatience, wanting to know, is this the one or if not, I don't even want that, this close friendship right now because she knew that she was drawn to him. And so it was a struggle. So... Wait on the Lord. Well, sometimes these young people tend to think, well, you know, how long do you wait? You know, we all agree you, know, you should wait on the Lord, but at, at what point do you, like, start some action here? And, you know, some, some things that we learned, I think, particularly through Shantae and Luke's relationship, was that waiting on the Lord is not just um, an activity while you're in a holding pattern, that waiting on the Lord is actually the posture of a lifetime. And sometimes waiting on the Lord means to be still, and sometimes waiting on the Lord does involve activity, but it's still a posture of the heart, and it is one of the hardest things for people to do. Um, all throughout this, you know, per, uh, this process, we as young people in general, this is something that is very closely tied in with some of the most mind-altering things out there, known as hormones. And as we experience these things, it's very hard to leave these things in God's hands. Very hard to take a relationship and leave it there. Very hard to take the desires and leave them there. And sometimes we can surrender them, and then later it comes back, and we're like, Lord, what do I do with this? And Shatay experienced that, and I think we've all experienced that at one point or another. Romans 12, verse 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It is our very reasonable service. And so when we have something that is very special to us and very important to us, it is, in essence, just material for sacrifice. It is something that God has perhaps given to us so that we can set them down at his feet. We have the tendency to grab onto hopes and dreams and keep a very tenacious hold on them and not want to release them. But that is, in essence, why God has given them to us, is so that we can give them back to him. I remember one time my mother and I, we drive to Albuquerque, which is the nearest city of any... Uh, uh, the nearest city of any consequence within the state of New Mexico to us. And uh, we were driving there. It's about two and a half to three hour drive. And so as we were going, we get a lot of talk time and we have to go there every week. And this particular day, mother brought up the subject of relationships. And I don't really like talking about relationships very much um, <laughs> for a lot of different reasons. But we were talking, mother brought up the subject to me. And so we were talking about it. And she brought up a particular friendship. She's like, what if God asked you to marry this person, this young man? And I had never thought really in those terms. And I was, it wasn't that I didn't like the person. The person was very nice. But there were some things about the person that I realized as I was thinking as she was asking me these questions kind of cross-grained some of the dreams I have as far as like the things I envisioned for my future home and my future ministry and blah, 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 blah. And I realized that this person like cross-grained some of those things. I liked the person, but 
suddenly I realized that if God asked me to marry that person, it was going to, by necessity, dispose of some of my most fondly cherished dreams. And I was like, Mom, absolutely not. And she's like, what if God asked you to? It wasn't like she was trying to push me into anything, of course, but she was just asking me. And some of these things are good to think about. And I realized that day something that I had not realized before, and that was that some of the dreams that I was holding on to most closely about the future, I was holding on to so closely that I was willing in that moment to say no to God if God was saying no to my dream. That's a pretty serious spot to be. And I realized that it was, it was a total epiphany to me. I didn't realize it before that time. And so it was, a, it was a blessed experience to me, even though I didn't enjoy the conversation. It was a blessed experience to me in the long run because I realized the, the song called I Will Go. I don't know how many of you have heard that song, but in part of that it says, I'll let go of my ambitions, cut the roots that run too deep. I will learn to give away what I cannot really keep. And that's what we young people, some of our, it's one of our biggest struggles, but at the same time, it's one of the biggest blessings in our lives to recognize that certain things are material for sacrifice. And dreams and hopes rank very high in that level. Now, it's not to say that God is going to take away all of our dreams and hopes and give us something we never wanted. Of course not. He pays attention to those. I have never seen anyone's dreams come true like my sisters have um, in, in her marriage to my brother-in-law. Um, she is, in her words, deliriously happy. But So God does pay attention to these things, but at the same time, he does ask us to be willing to let go of them for his sake. And if we are willing to let go of them for his sake, then he gives us abundant blessings. Sometimes all we want to give to God is our sins and the guilt and all these things. We're like, God, take that. And God more than happily takes these things, but then the beautiful things and the, the dreams and the blessings were like, hey, this is a good thing. I, I want to keep it. Why do I have to give it up? This is a good thing. Well, you, there's, a, you know, there's a passage in Malachi where God talks about the children of Israel were being the blind lambs and the lame lambs and all the ones that weren't any good for their herds. They were bringing those to the temple to sacrifice. And God said to them, you know, hand that, give that as a gift to your governor and see what he thinks of you. He's not going to like it very much either. So though God asks us to give him our, you know, our transgressions, our sins, and all these things, at the same time, God also does some, sometimes ask for us to give those perfectly good and beautiful things which we want to keep as our own, yet they are a gift to be given back to him. And when we do give those back to him, um, it is a beautiful thing. And so if we are willing to release those dreams... God very well, most likely, will give them back. Or he very well may give us something better, but at the same time, all the way along, it's material for sacrifice. Oh, just skip straight to accountability. Okay, well, we're going to have to chop out some of the parts of this message. So we're going to move on to the next point, accountability, the second one. The first one, as you recall, is waiting on the Lord. The second thing is accountability. Now... This is not the most comfortable thing for young people. Um, it's not the most comfortable thing for anyone, right? But at the same time, it proves to be a great, great blessing. This, learning self-control. It's a lesson of a lifetime. Restraint is one of the greatest strengths a person can have. As we read in the, you know, the, the story of King David, before he was the king, he's out in the wilderness being hunted down, 21 assassination attempts on the life of King David before he even became king. And Saul's out there hunting for him, 
and David and, and Abishai are in the cave and Abishai is like, look, there's Saul, let me kill him. I'll do it real quick. It's not gonna take, you know, won't take me long. I'll just do it fast. This is, this is, this is your chance, David, to be king. And what was David's response? I will not touch the Lord's anointed. Now, that was not because David didn't kill. I mean, that's a harsh reality. It's like, yeah, David killed. But the truth was that the women of Israel had already been in the streets singing, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands mercy. So it wasn't that David said, no, don't kill him because David had never killed anyone. David was saying, no, don't kill him because David refused to take the future, his own future, out of the hands of God and into his own hands. That is incredible restraint, incredible self-control. And it was born from implicit trust in God. You read in the Psalms where, where David says, my soul wait thou only upon God for my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my defense. I shall not be moved, etc., etc." From implicit trust in God and also from very carefully guarding one's own thoughts. If, if David had not controlled his thoughts towards Saul, how do we have evidence that he you know, controlled the way he thought? Because when Saul appeared in the cave, Saul was possessed by demons, and this was commonly known to the people of Israel. If you read in the Patriarchs and Prophets, Ellen White says that the people considered Saul little better than a madman. That's a pretty serious statement. So it was commonly known that he was possessed by demons. If David had not controlled his thoughts, every time Saul shows up, David's like, my father and my Lord. Anointed of the Lord is the way he referred to him, as opposed to saying, well, you know, under Levitical law, you're not supposed to allow wizards to live, and, you know, Saul's possessed of demons. So, I mean, David could have found reason to kill him, and he did not, because he guarded his thoughts. And the same thing goes for us as young people today. That's why the Bible says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. So, just looking at the clock, we're a little bit short on time. Um, definition for the discipline of accountability. Willingness of a young person, this is our definition, derived in part from a dictionary with a little bit of applicability to this particular subject. Willingness of a young person to be held responsible by parents or godly friends or mentors to, be an to answer for his or her actions and choices in the area of relationships. Um, and to be willing to follow counsel. Now, in my personal experience, um, I am naturally a pretty, I suppose, logical girl. So I don't, I have not found myself in very many complex situations throughout my teens and into my 20s now, but that does not mean that I don't um, submit to accountability. Um, primarily, my, my main accountability partners are my family, of course, and my sister and brother-in-law have a lot of wisdom. And I'll tell you one thing that re really practically is something that's not fun, but it's actually really beneficial is if you have correspondence with a person, you're not sure if it's, you know, perfectly, you know, you think maybe you should have some input on it, or maybe you don't think you should have input on it, but you really should. But one thing that actually is a real blessing is um, just this past week, we were in the car with my sister and brother-in-law, and I handed them my computer, and they went through my email, specific emails, and they were reading some of my correspondence with a person back to me. And that was like, if you have somebody else, an accountability partner, reading correspondence back to you, sometimes it's not very fun. Because it's like, no, that's not the way I meant that. Or you know, the way they're putting inflection on it, or the way they're 
expressing it or the way they interpreting it. And you're like, no, that's not the way I meant it. No, no, that's not what they were saying by that. And actually, it's a rather enlightening experience. It's not very comfortable, but if you really want accountability, you can have an accountability partner read through these things or talk to you through these things. And oftentimes, we don't want to hear it, but it can save us a lot of things on the far side. You know, an ounce of accountability is worth a pound of our own maturity and wisdom. God has given it to us for a purpose. Okay, we should really have made this uh, a several-part um, story to really draw the, the lessons that we wanted to share out of it. Um, so basically, the, the take-home so far um, is on the discipline of accountability, even though it's difficult, young people, find uh, if you have godly parents, do not ignore their counsel. Embrace it. Um, if you don't have godly parents, look for uh, older godly mentors in your life that will help you and choose to be accountable, choose to share openly and honestly. And speaking of honestly, um, the last point that we would like to uh, bring out is the discipline of authenticity. Marriage was designed by God to be the most beautiful, intimate, loving relationship destined to symbolize the relationship of Christ with his bride. Um, and it should be characterized by openness, transparency, intimacy with selfless love as its um, very foundation. So God designed that husband and wife be able to be thoroughly open with each other. Um, this is very difficult for us in our, in our fallen state. Man was created as a communicating being. Um, and after the fall, um, the holy pair that had enjoyed face-to-face -face communion with their, ma with their maker, with um, no obscuring veil between, found that that was broken. As they chose to sin, that was broken. And instead of running to God in confession and repentance and trust, Casting themselves upon the mercy of God, um, they began to respond to God in ways that were not open, that were not honest, that were not truthful. They complicated the situation by responding to his questions and claims with half-truths, with blame-shifting, hiding, and attempting to cover up their shame and guilt. For 6,000 years, friends, um, Man has been naturally responding to God and to one another in the same sinful fashion as our first parents did. Every man is born a rebel and does not naturally love the truth. Under stress, man first thinks of lying instead of telling the truth. And Ellen White talks about many different forms of de deceit that, uh, that there are that we usually don't consider. You know, we speak half-truths or we say the truth in a way that gives a, a wrong uh, impression. Um, this is a time of life when you 
are getting to know a person for the purpose of knowing, is this the person God has for me? This is a time that is most crucial to be honest, to be open, honest with yourself and honest with that person. Young people are especially vulnerable. They want to, during this time, during that stage, they want to put their f best foot forward and they want to create the best impression uh, in the mind of the person that they are considering giving their affections to. And like I said, if there was a time when honesty was absolutely necessary, this is it. We were especially impressed with our new son, Luke in that he, um, even though he put himself through a rigorous process that he did not uh, anticipate he would be doing, he was starkly honest and open with us. To give you an example, uh, one of the first things that we handled with him was relationship history. We wanted him to tell us about past relationships and we were amazed from the beginning at how honest and open he was. He was not trying to um, buy our approval. He actually, as the more he got to know Shantae through us, the more doubtful he became, insecure about the thought that this was the person that God had for him because he felt he wasn't sure he could lead a girl that was that deeply committed, deeply spiritual. Um, and so he told us these things very openly. I, I, I'm not certain. And um, he did not want to go forward. Even when the communication got reestablished and we started talking again, he went through a very rigorous process himself that he himself was putting himself through with God um, to be able to evaluate whether God, whether the Lord was giving him a green light um, to pursue getting to know Shantae, you know, with very serious intentions or not. In the, in the process, after the relationship actually um, began, we got a communication from someone that we know that knew Luke in the past, um, expressing some very... Um, serious concerns and really doubting that he was the person for her. When we read that letter, um, on the one hand, it was disappointing to us, but on the other hand, um, it sounded like they were things that were very consistent with things that he had shared with us that he did not need to share with us. And I remember that when we confronted him about certain things in particular, not not actually spelling out the details because we wanted to keep uh, confidentiality and not let that other person know that you know they were the ones who had but um, he was so undefensive as he heard our concerns he was quick to say yes I'm sure even though you're not sharing with me I'm sure that those things are true um, and then he went on to elaborate you know about past mistakes it is a huge blessing. As they got into the courtship, which I'm, I'm sorry that we cannot share more of the details, but as they got into the courtship, um, they went through a very difficult process of being completely open and honest with each other mm -hmm. um, to such a degree that after they got married, 
their um, their relationship is, has been so beautiful in our eyes, and we really uh, attribute um, the blessing of that in great part to how maturely they handled that process of um, getting to know each other for the purpose of knowing was their compatibility. They were absolutely honest uh, with each other. So. Uh, it's worth it's worth the um, the task the the rigorous task of being open, honest, being um, willing to accept counsel and to wait on the Lord's timing on everything. Well, tell you what is one of the undergirding of all three of these areas of waiting on the Lord, having a willingness to be accountable and also to be authentic, and that is humility. Humility is the undergoing principle, we believe, that will help to carry you through. You see, humility is the constant attendant of true wisdom. Those who have this grace will patiently listen to the advice and counsel of others and give it due weight. We will listen to the counsel of God's word. We will listen to the counsel of godly people in our lives. We will pay attention to what it has, the impact that it will have on our own lives. And that is what we saw in the case of Luke. If nothing else, you stand large when you are willing to say, I was wrong. I have learned from that experience. And all I have to tell you is it's a beautiful thing because this is an area where many of us are challenged in being authentic individuals, authentic before God, authentic before the world, and authentic in our relationships. So we pray that as you go forward, young people, as you going forward and you asking the Lord, what would you have me to do to bear in mind what we have shared with you today? Let us bow our heads in prayer. Precious Lord, we know that there is much that you have to teach us. We know that there is much that we have to learn. Help us, Lord, with open hearts to be humble as we come before you, to teach us what we need to know. And that will result in us having marriages, unions here on earth, that will be all that you would have it to be, which will bring glory and honor to your name. Thank you for hearing our prayer this day. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.